You're listening to Not The Stock Response, an investment podcast like no other. Perhaps for good reason. And to keep the lawyers happy, this is not formal financial advice. Hello and welcome to a very familial episode of Not The Stock Response. Joining me in the studio today is a veteran of the Not The Stock Response podcast, Hayden Brooks. Hi, Rupert. Uh, and his cousin, Farmer Tyrrell. Hello. Do you prefer Farmer Tyrrell or just You Henry? can call me Henry. Right, okay. Henry's fine. <laughs> So to kick us off then, Henry, would you mind just telling us a little bit about uh, your farm and uh, what you what you produce? Yeah, so we're a family-run beef, sheep and arable farm in the Midlands and we grow winter barley, winter beans and spring oats. And we basically try and do a rotation around that and grass for our livestock. What's the livestock? So we've got beef, so we've got suckler cows, got 50 suckler cows and they are licorice all sorts breeds, so we've got... Aberdeen Angus, we've got North Devon, we've got Belgian Blue, Limousin, loads of different breeds of cows. And then we've got a Charolais Bull. Uh, the Charolais Bull basically serves all the cows. So we get Charolais Cross. Serves sounds like a euphemism. Um, <laughs> yeah. It pretty much it is. is a euphemism. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly what it is. Um, so they all come out as Charolais Cross because it's the sire that you basically go by. Um, but then we buy in calves as well. So we buy from different dairy farms. We'll buy them at two weeks old and we'll rear them up on buckets and artificial milk powder. Um, and then we take all of them through for a couple of years and then they go off to Morrison Supermarket for your prime steaks and beef burgers and everything else that comes with that. Um, my sister looks after the sheep side of things primarily. We all chip in at the busy periods. Um, we all chip in with the beef. Um, my mother does like all the books and then helps with the rearing of the calves, the lambing. Um, and then, yeah, I'm arable beef and sheep sort of all round, but mainly on the arable side of things. Oh, and also my dad, uh, he holds the show together for now. <laughs> so it's a proper proper family run show. Then. Yeah. How, how, many, yeah. how many generations back does that go? Uh, so dad was sort of first generation. My grandpa sort of helped him out with and purchasing the land and they were completely hobbies at the start so yeah it was a few fields here and there and bucket rearing the calves he used to like take his calves down and let them graze on the the greens in the village and things because they didn't have much grass but yeah so it's sort of grown from there and yeah they've had side jobs as well mum was a solicitor so that helped um, side job <laughs> yeah it's an important side job <laughs> <laughs> well the farm was more or less a hobby really um, and that along with all of our other jobs yeah so now a viable farm and that's amazing like that must be quite because usually like there's a long lineage there right because you need a hell of a lot of land to yeah. be able to do it so yeah. to have actually kind of started that from, from scratch it's quite cool yeah. I'm pretty sure you've bought, like, over time, you've just bought new pockets of Little land bits around. here, there and everywhere, yeah. which does mean we're sort of like, we are here, there and everywhere. Um, so logistically, it can be a bit of a nightmare, but we're aiming to consolidate all on one one unit, and that's the plan. We're putting up sheds, we're doing lots of concreting and trying to make it more efficient in those ways. Super. Well, um, as we've got you here, as I'm sure everyone is painfully aware, food prices uh, are going up. We've seen empty shelves in the supermarkets, uh, and the BBC suggested near the start of the year that people should start eating turnips uh, instead of tomatoes, which is pretty bleak. So with all that in mind, I thought it'd be really interesting to hear from you, Henry, a little bit about what's going on at the coalface um, on, you know, sort of a behind-the-scenes look in British farms. Okay, so behind the scenes... Uh, it's pretty much the cost of production that's gone up for us. And that's what's coming through onto the supermarket shelves. The war in Ukraine was a massive thing. So it literally put our fertilizer 
up three times the price that it usually is. Um, and then same with all the other inputs on the farm. So fuel literally did the same thing. Doesn't sound much when it's like a pound a litre or yeah, it went from 80 pence to a pound 20, but when you're using thousands of litres, it's massive difference. Um, and same with all the chemicals, the labour. We are quite fortunate we don't employ many people um, and it's all family labour. So, you know, we class it as a hobby, so our, our time doesn't <laughs> count. But, um, but yeah, so the labour's a massive thing um, and shortage of labour due to Brexit, like on a lot of farms where they're reliant on, say, Eastern European labourers coming across to pick fruit and veg or to milk dairy cows. That's a massive thing that we've now lost. Um, there's still a few people that come over, but it's not as good for them to be here. They can earn as much money lorry driving back at home, so why would they come? The other thing to remember is that by the time you've planted your seed and actually sold that seed, 18 months could have gone by and the volatility in the market, the the fertiliser could have quadrupled and the labour could have gone back home and there's nobody there to actually harvest it. And You buggered, basically. Pretty much, yeah. Um, so if you sold your corn early at 180 pounds a ton you didn't buy your fertilizer your fertilizer has gone from 300 pounds a ton to over a thousand pounds a ton and you've sold your corn for not a lot of money in that year like you stand to lose a lot of money and i imagine um, when you're selling to you know big big supermarket chains like morrison's tesco sainsbury's the like they'll probably want to get you to lock in your price fairly early and so you might well be in that situation where you sort of sold it at you know yesterday's production prices and then and yeah then so a stopping. lot of people do lock into contracts and they'll say right i'm going to supply you with 100 tons of grain it's going to be this spec well most of the time we we do it on spot so yeah that means you just, sell it there and then for that price yeah 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 a lot of people do sell that forward but yeah, we're just on spot and it's mainly, it's just hunches you're going with. Yeah, the war in Ukraine was just so unexpected that you could just be up shit creek without a paddle pretty quickly. So after all this, the, the, the big thing is obviously the price of food is going up enormously uh, and people are already under pressure with regard to their finances in, in many different ways. Uh, and one of the things that's really sort of stuck out to me is, well, I read this the other day in The Guardian, but um, there's children at school that are, that are not, that are, that are turning up to school hungry because they don't get free school meals. And by the way, to get a free school meal, you have to have cumulative income between in the household of less than £14,000, which between two people really isn't very much money. So if you earn £17,000 cumulatively in your household, you still have to pay for your children's meals at school. So there are some families which genuinely have to choose between heating or eating. And there's children at school with empty bellies. And if you've got an empty belly, how are you supposed to concentrate, right? And if you can't concentrate in the class, you're going to start to become quite, quite disruptive. So actually, like, it's it, well, the knock-on effect of expensive food and people not being able to get the right nutrition is, is going to be felt into the future. So how are these children going to sort of combat tomorrow's challenges if they're, if they're hungry and they haven't got the, the chance of actually, you know, listening to and, and absorbing what the teacher's trying to tell you? So I think that, like... Well, first off, Marcus Rashford, you know, kudos for you to try and for, for bringing this to the public attention. But I do think free school meals needs to be verbatim. It doesn't need to be means tested. It should just be a thing. If you go to school, the school should, you know, really try and actually, well, they should be certainly feeding you or feeding the children throughout the day so they can listen to uh, listen to what the teachers have got to say. It's interesting, isn't it? Because there's parallels with... Um oil and gas because obviously after the war in Ukraine in terms of you know the sort of over-reliance on 
on one you know resource for essential commodities yeah. like you know like 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 the resources that we use to to heat our home and like you know like the stuff that we need to put food on the table whether that's you know buying directly from somewhere or or um or the fertilizer and you know all, all of the things up the value chain that you know we need in order to put food on the table and we, I think we import 48% of all the food we we consume so let's call it half right so half the food we consume yeah. in this country is imported yeah yeah right, we could so- become a lot more Relying on you know our own system, we could produce more, um, but we export a lot of things as well. Um, and you know, who wants to eat a turnip when you can have a tomato? Have you tried a turnip, Henry? I have tried a turnip. <laughs> so we, <laughs> we grow a stubble turnip, which we actually feed to the sheep. And I did right. try it once, but it wasn't very nice. Oh, right, okay, fine. Um, times times are hard on the Tyrrell farm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we tried many a thing. Yeah, we shan't yeah. go into that. Um, we grow them for the sheep in a mixture. Uh, so there'll be some kale in there, small seed rape, and the stubble turnip. And we put that in as a catch crop. So we'll plant it in the autumn straight after harvest or in the summer, really. Uh, as early as possible is the better. Uh, and then before the spring crop, we will graze it with sheep. And they basically turn that green matter into brown matter, uh, which feeds all the soil. Brown matter being poo. <laughs> Shit, right? Yeah, it's shit. <laughs> Let's just say it. it's it's shit. You got it. You got it. Uh, and that feeds all the soil microbiology. That feeds the worms and keeps your soil healthy. Um, so integrating livestock with uh, arable system is key for sustainability, and especially on our farm, like it's just, it's circular. So this is a circular economy. Yeah. So cut, cutting out meat. So actually, meat is important for for the farm. So actually, having, 100%, yeah, having yeah. livestock, having that orga- organic matter there, yeah. means you have to use less fertilizer. You have to lose less pesticide. You Completely. Know. Yeah, yeah. So it it ha- helps with weed management. It helps with cycling nutrients. It helps just break up a continuous arable system, which is you know corn chemicals, corn chemicals. If you have um, livestock in there, then you can grow grass. You can you can break up the weed seed cycle. So in, in really simplistic terms, because obviously so farmers rotate, rotate their fields, so yeah. is, that, is that basically what's going on there? So like you put, yeah. some, put some livestock in it that are going to eat the weeds that you don't want there, then they're going to poo the stuff that you do want there. Yeah. So, so that, right. Yes, yeah. and you need to give those fields a rest. Like if you've got continuous wheat in them, we've never done that, but some farms will grow continuous wheat. That field needs a rest. It needs change. It needs rotation. It's just... It needs a holiday, basically. It needs a holiday, yeah. Yeah, get some muck back onto it, get some life back into it. Um, and that's what livestock introduce. And they produce a protein that is human consumable because, yeah, we can't eat grass. So I suppose the whole, you know, I'm I'm just going to eat vegetables sort of thing, well, that's that's fine, but who's, who's growing it? Because it's not sustainable, like, financially to just no. grow one thing, right? It, so, well, it all and what we're going to end up with is GM or, yeah. you know, back to, you know, importing 100% of our food from... Chlor- chlorine chicken, chlorine chicken from the US. We don't yeah. really want that much. And then when you either. think about the food miles with that, you know, the knock-on effect of that, you know, that's incredibly unsustainable. I mean, you know, I mean, I was as guilty as anyone. I mean, you know, thinking that my, of course my avocados weren't grown in bloody Kent, but, <laughs> but no. there I was chowing down my avo eggs being, oh, I'm being so sustainable. And I would have been better off just getting some locally reared bacon yeah. <laughs> from down the road. Yeah, yeah. At least we know what, you know, if it's grown in this country, we know how it's been grown, it's controlled, you know, the regulations we have to go through to grow food are unbelievable, um, but they're there for a reason. And if you just import it from here, there and everywhere, you have no control outside our borders as to how it's actually been grown. 
Um, avocados, for instance, like they are outrageous. Like I've seen some Netflix documentaries and it's like cartels. It's the the water that they take up um, when they're grown in countries where there's not like enough clean drinking water. Um, I'd just sooner, UK, at least you can you know what what's in front of your face, don't you? Mm. So yeah, you're in control of that. And I suppose just to bring it back sort of full circle to where we started in terms of, you know, food costs, uh, again, we saw this with, with oil, and, oil and gas prices soaring, right? Is that people go, oh, I'm all into ESG, and then suddenly, oh, actually, that looks quite attractive, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch to that. And you can imagine it's not, you know, beyond the wit of man to think that with, you know, prices of, of foodstuffs going up, everyone or a lot of the people that go, oh, I'm going to buy organic, I'm going to buy free range, are actually going to start making some slightly more, you know, yeah. cost economical um, d- decisions because they have to, but that isn't going to take us to, you know, the place that we said that we wanted to get to. So the stuff all exists in a careful balance, right? I've, I've always wondered why, like, why if you want to have avocados or you want to eat, you know, asparagus from Peru, Sure, you can eat it, but it's going to be flown here. But why don't they just increase the tax? Why don't they try and put people off by putting up the price on those products, which have got, you know, are, you know, are being flown over here and creating lots of CO two? I just think they need to sort of allocate the taxes towards mm. where they want to have people to consume. Yeah. Um, so you know, drop the tax or get rid of the VAT on healthy food and tax um, Coca Cola and sweets and and avocados and um, well, you might not be happy with the avocados going up, but um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we want to give our options, though, don't we? Yeah. We don't want to. You know, it's the 21st century. You want to be able to eat what you want to eat. Um, but it's a but luxury. It's not it something that you need for yeah, life. Exactly. And I suppose going hand in hand with that is at the same time, we've got to make sure that like energy security, like food security, that we are producing enough here, you know, to live. It might not be exactly what you want, whether that's asparagus in, I don't know, October or whatever. It's not in season. But, you know, that's that's a luxury. But we've got to make sure that we're producing enough for people to actually heat their homes and, yeah, and you yeah, know, yeah. put food on the table, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah 100%. So in terms of where we do want to get to, if we don't want to go down the route of, you know, lower quality or less sustainable produce, what what is the way forward? What needs to happen? I think it's I think it's it's pretty well known that you've got to eat, you know, eat eat seasonally. So eat eat produce which is which is available now. Um as I said, don't eat don't eat um don't eat asparagus in November that's being flown over from Peru. So so eat seasonally. Try and buy locally as well. So find out who your local farmer is or your local producer is and go directly to them. Um Do you sell direct? We do, yes, we do. Uh, beef and lamb boxes um, and we basically we sell mainly to Morrison supermarket and then we'll pick the creme de la creme of our produce and we'll be like right okay so let's try this breed a nice little native breed and we will send that off to the local abattoir and we get it back backpacked and we deliver it to local people um, so you're delivering delivering that yourself yeah 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 no, to your door just load, load up a van what's your radius um, so our radius is like within 20 miles, I suppose, but then we use a delivery service that, you know, we can just ship it anywhere. Oh, right. Um, yeah. And we benchmark with Morrison's pricing. So I don't know. So it won't always, cost you any more than it would to go to the supermarket? Yeah. I, people always say, oh yeah. Done. Yeah. <laughs> sold. I'll take two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to compete with them when they've got their, their for sale. Yeah. Where it's like, um, the reduced section and thing like that, because you cannot produce it for that. They're loss leaders. Um, and they'll do that with milk and things like that and try and bring people into the shop for a really low cost commodity. And it's that's not fair because you can't you can't produce it for that. And, and they put it at the back of the store, don't they? They put the milk at the back yeah. of the store, the furthest, furthest, furthest point 
to get to. Really go, interesting. The supermarket to, psychology. Yeah, I don't know right? if you're Darren yeah, Brown fans, yeah. but he did a, a whole a whole thing on it, and it is like yeah. the amount of thought that goes into it is yeah. is Machiavellian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they yeah. basically hide the eggs, don't they? If you try to find the eggs, yeah, they're yeah. always hidden somewhere. And actually put things that yeah. like you would obviously have together really far yeah. apart, <laughs> yeah. which is bloody irritating. Yeah, also, yeah. incidentally, how my mum organises her kitchen. It's good for your steps, though. It's good for your steps. <laughs> yeah, good for step yeah, count. That's yeah, true. Exactly that. Yeah, well, yeah. We're not going to compete with that, but I can compete with. Uh, their normal range um, prices, and that's that's fine. I'll I'll put it there, and I'll get it. I'll get it produced and backpacked and delivered to your door for the same price. You know, I haven't got a lot of costs. I haven't got a big farm shop because that's the that's the problem really. When you start trying to really sell direct to the consumer, is the cost that it you incur whilst doing it, mm. um, and also drawing them out of the supermarket. So if you're only selling one thing, so say I've I'm selling milk and I've got a vending machine. I'm trying to draw them out of their normal day-to-day lives to come and buy milk from my vending machine. Well, yeah, you've got to either be selling something substantially better, which it generally is, um, or a lot cheaper to get people's attention. Um, and now COVID's not a thing and people have got less time. Um, they're straight back to the supermarket and that's just where we've got a, mm. the the difficulty of actually selling to the consumer is. Well, I mean, there's there's heaps of examples of that, right? Of sort of like people being really thankful you know, in a weird way for things that they learned during COVID that they said, oh, I'm definitely going to, you know, keep that up. I imagine supporting local was sort of one of them and how many how many people can honestly say that they're, you know, keeping up all yeah, the things that they said they do. And what about on the supply side then? What are what are sort of what are you seeing in the industry that farmers are doing to kind of make farming more, more sustainable? Um, so direct drilling is a massive thing. So a lot of people aren't they're moving away from the plow because basically you plow the fields, you cultivate the fields, and you're releasing carbon dioxide into the environment. And um, so there's a lot of people moving towards direct drilling, um, which is great. Um, so to trap trap more carbon into the earth. Yeah. Or not release it anyway. Not release it is the main thing. And like it is increasing and benefiting your soil biology by letting it grow and do its own thing versus cultivating it and smashing it around to try and get a seed bed and all the rest. And Didn't then, you have some wacky idea about, like, was it, I'd say, worm poo tea or something? Yes, we tr- tried reducing our nitrogen inputs by right. spraying worm poo tea. So it's a company that have a worm farm and they basically brew up the worm castings, which is worm poo, um, which is full of good biology. And then they brew it and they give it a feed source, which is a molasses, um, which keeps all the biology alive. And then you spray that onto your field because it, it bubbles up and it expands and there's loads more. But you only need a tiny bit of worm poo to actually make that biology grow. Right. Um, and then you spray that and it helps draw down nitrogen from the atmosphere and... Yeah, less nitrogen is needed on your applications and to actually grow the crop. And we did trials on it last year and we're doing it again this year. And it's quite a difficult thing to actually explain, but visually we could see a difference. So for on, on our silage fields, on what we're producing for grass silage for the cows, you could see where the crop had laid over because it was that dense where we'd sprayed it and then where Dad had run out on the sprayer, it wasn't laid over anymore. So there's something there and there's loads of work that is being done on, we call it biological inoculants or biological stimulants for the soil uh, versus the chemical fertilizers. Um, And it's a really interesting subject and industry which is growing. And yeah, I'm all up for getting into it, but yeah, need to just keep trial and error really because the difficulty with being sustainable is that you might impact your yield 
and very often you do. And it's balancing that yield knock with your with your inputs because um, you've got to be yeah a, I mean, an unprofitable farm is unsustainable. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, what's what's available in terms of sort of subsidies or, or government sort of incentives to to try and help farmers, you know, do do the right thing without, as, as you say, sort of fleecing their own pockets. Fleecing um, is the wrong word. Yeah, you know so, what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 yeah well, we used to have a lot of subsidies coming into agriculture through direct payments and you basically get paid with the amount of landmass that you had and that was great like you just got a nice big check but the problem was people were hoarding land and buying Range Rovers with the money and that's no good um, so basically out of Brexit we're out of that now and there from 2021 to 2027 we're having a change over all our subsidies um, and it's basically going to be public money for public goods so public money is going to be spent on farmers to enhance the biodiversity of the landscape, the environment, uh, things like the sustainable farming incentive and the environmental land management schemes uh, coming in. So we basically sign up to them and get payments for direct drilling or planting cover crops or integrating livestock. Um, so doing all the things that we know are right, but with just having a bit of security there so that if our yields are impacted because quite often they are especially with a conversion there's a big yield impact um we're still we're still profitable um so the one thing that we haven't talked about was um clarkson's farm so i think that's done a lot to sort of shine a light on the realities um of life for british farmers and i think people are you know more more aware as a result of you know sort of how hard this is, this job is and how essential it is as well so have you noticed you know any kind of swell of public support people you know, showing a bit more sort of understanding and, and, and gratitude, I guess, for the for the work that farmers do. Everybody that I meet says, have you watched Carlson's Farm? <laughs> <laughs> that was me too. <laughs> yeah, Hayden loves it. Everybody loves it. He's an entertaining bloke and he makes it very real and things that we just think about or don't think about day to day and what we're doing is abnormal to everybody else. Um, and yeah, it's a really interesting chap and a really interesting programme that does just relay what we're doing to the everyday per person who's just doesn't have a clue really what we do. Everybody wants to know about what we're growing on the farm now and how our lambs are and you know how everything is going. And before blood, people really didn't understand or know hardly anything about farming. And especially why like, like farmers always worry about the weather. Like I've always wondered yeah. why Graham was so upset about the weather and I was like, oh, just, just, why is he so grumpy? And then I watched Clark, I like, sort of got Clarkson's farm and understood that if it doesn't rain or if it's too dry, yeah. they make no money, right? So yeah. it's um yeah, it's Or if it rains too much. Or if it rains too much, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. It's a very pedicity lot, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I feel like we're moaning about the weather all the time, but it's it's such a real thing for us. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's either too hot or too cold or massive drought or massive floods like I know that is just climate change and that is something we're going to have to face in the future isn't it and um, get used to it and manage it better I suppose but whereas before you used to get your seasons quite to the dot it's not like that anymore um, so we are moaning about it all the time yeah. <laughs> so key takeaways then eat local yeah. eat seasonal buy direct from your farmers yeah. it also tastes better it does. it tastes better it does. it'll save you money simple as that yeah. it's smaller the supply chain the better really for sustainability um, for quality for yeah. food security the whole the whole, the whole nine yards if you would like to buy direct from uh, the Tyrrell farm uh, I'm looking at you Henry it's at farmer.tyrrell on Instagram and at Henry's Beef and Lamb all one word on Facebook right well, um, this studio charges by the hour so um, I think we probably better wrap it up there gents thank you ever so much for coming on the pod thank you Rupert uh, thank you Henry thank you very much 
No problem. Until the next time, uh, it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from Hayden. Cheers. That's goodbye from Farmer Tyrrell. Goodbye. Yes, you like potato, and I like potato. You like tomato, I like tomato. Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. What?